This is Latin Pulse, a weekly analysis of news and public affairs in Latin America, brought to you through the cooperation of the School of Communications at Webster University, the global university headquartered in St. Louis, Missouri, and Link TV. And now, here's host, Rick Rockwell. Bienvenidos and welcome to Latin Pulse. We're back from our extended spring break with a program devoted to the historic events in Cuba this week. We'll have a full analysis of President Barack Obama's trip to the island. And so, we begin with Natalie Ottinger, who has details about Obama's opening to Cuba and our weekly review of news from around Latin America. President Barack Obama completed a historic three-day trip to Cuba this week, the first U.S. president to visit the island nation since 1928, and the first to offer normalized diplomatic relations since the Cuban Revolution. The president gave several key speeches during the trip and defended his policy to change the direction of U.S.-Cuban relations. Many people on both sides of this debate have asked, why now? There is one simple answer. What the United States was doing was not working. A policy of isolation designed for the Cold War made little sense in the 21st century. I have come here to bury the last remnant of the Cold War in the Americas. Cuba's president, Raul Castro, provided a cordial greeting and atmosphere for Obama, but the two clashed on several topics. Obama invoked the need for Cuba to address human rights concerns on various occasions during the trip, and he held a meeting with Cuban dissidents. Castro used the trip to again highlight the need for the U.S. to end its economic embargo and return the naval base at Guantanamo to Cuban control. Obama even argued during one speech that Afro-Cubans needed better treatment from the Castro regime. Cubans turned out in large numbers to attend events and speeches by Obama, and a poll conducted last year reveals that the U.S. president is quite popular in Cuba. The poll showed Obama has an 80% approval rating by Cubans, a number that far exceeds the popularity of Cuban President Raul Castro or Castro's legendary brother Fidel. Both had approval ratings in Cuba in the 40% range. Currently, about half of those living in the U.S. give Obama a positive approval rating. The Cuban approval poll was conducted for the television networks Univision and Fusion, along with media outlet The Washington Post. President Obama pushed on from Cuba to also pay a visit to Argentina to round out his week in Latin America. The president met with Argentina's new president, Mauricio Macri, and the two paid tribute to victims of the country's dirty war in the 70s and 80s. Obama's visit coincided with the 40th anniversary of the coup that brought a military regime to power in Argentina, the same regime that initiated the dirty war against dissidents. Obama promised to release more secret information about the role the U.S. played to support Argentina's military regime. Despite Obama's gestures, thousands of Argentines protested against his visit during the anniversary remembrances. Moving back to Cuba, one other vestige of the Cold War still faces obstacles. That would be the peace talks to end the long-running civil war in Colombia. Negotiators had set this week as a deadline to sign major agreements, if not complete the entire peace process. But the talks have stalled in recent weeks. The government of Colombia has carried on official peace talks with the Revolutionary Armed Forces of Colombia, the rebel group called the FARC. Both sides have carried out those talks for more than three years in Havana. The war in Colombia has dragged on for more than 51 years. 
President Obama wasn't the only one making history in Cuba this week. The Tampa Bay Rays traveled to the communist country, too, to play the Cuban national team. The first game in 17 years between a Major League Baseball team and the Cubans. The Cuban government and the Baseball League are discussing arrangements for how Cuban players might play in the U.S. and Canada without having to defect. Presidents Obama and Castro attended the historic game together. By the way, the Rays won the game 4-1. to one. We'll be devoting the remainder of the program to discussion of Obama's historic trip to Cuba. For Latin Pulse, I'm Natalie Ottinger. Thanks, Natalie. Our shout-out this week goes to our listeners in Turkey. Our listening group in Turkey was our third largest this past week, behind only our listeners in the U.S. and Mexico. So we say, Tesekur Idrim, to all of our listeners in Turkey and elsewhere around the globe. And now we return our attention to President Obama's state visit to Cuba. For a deeper analysis of the trip and what it will mean going forward, we turn to Bill Leogrand at American University in Washington, D.C. Leogrand is the co-author of Back Channel to Cuba, the hidden history of negotiations between Washington and Havana. He spoke to us via Skype from Washington, D.C. Well, I think there's no doubt it was historic. The first time a U.S. president has been in Cuba uh, since Calvin Coolidge went back in uh, 1928. Uh, And it's really a symbol of the fundamental shift in U.S. policy towards Cuba, away from the old policy of hostility and regime change to Obama's policy of engagement. And I think, by and large, it was a successful uh, trip, uh, both in terms of the substantive deliverables, but even more importantly, just in terms of the symbolism of it. So what would be those substantive deliverables? So the two governments signed uh, two new bilateral agreements on issues of mutual interest, uh, maritime safety and navigation in the Caribbean on the one hand, and agricultural cooperation through uh, research and technical exchanges on the other. And in addition to that, there have been a number of U.S. companies that were able to uh, sign new commercial agreements with the Cubans, uh, Starwood Hotels, Google, General Electric, and uh, we think uh, we're very close to uh, Major League Baseball signing an agreement that would allow Cuban players to play in the United States. Uh, well, since we're lastly there on the issue of Major League Baseball, let's let's talk about that. An extraordinary baseball game, too, was also part of this particular visit, the first baseball game between a Cuban national team and a U.S. Major League team. Um, in 17 years. Um, I, I'm, I'm wondering about the, the baseball part of diplomacy and also the fact that that, uh, that baseball game became part of uh, American political discourse this past week. The idea that uh, President Obama should not have been at a baseball game right after these um, terrorist attacks in Belgium. Um, and, and so um, the, the, the thought of of President Obama at a baseball game in Cuba um, became a negative in in the news cycle here in the U.S. Well, you know, the president was asked about that, and he said that um, he thought part of being resilient in the face of terrorist attacks was to not let the terrorists prevent us from going about our daily lives and enjoying the things that make life enjoyable. Uh, the president was in touch with his 
national security and intelligence people. Uh, we saw some photographs of him on the phone uh, during the Cuba trip responding to the attacks in Belgium. Uh, I don't think that the national security of the United States was compromised by the fact that the president spent an hour or two watching a baseball game. Do you think that those terrorist attacks, though, um, took the focus away from this historic trip this week and pushed Obama off the front page? Well, there's no doubt that the dominant news story uh, yesterday was the terrorist attacks. And so the tail end of the president's trip, and particularly his speech to the Cuban people, uh, did not get the news coverage it would have gotten otherwise. Do you think that there will be an impact in the United States from this particular trip, positive or negative? Well, I think there, I think there is an impact. I think it's a positive impact. Uh, you could see in Cuba that ordinary people were just so excited to have the President of the United States visiting. Uh, as he walked around uh, on the tour of the old colonial part of Havana, uh, crowds of Cubans waved to him, called out, uh, applauded him as he went by. Uh, so there was just an enormous excitement on, on the part of Cubans about having this president, this Afro-American president, uh, in Cuba for the first time, marking the end of the Cold War in the Caribbean. Well, well certainly uh, marking the end of the Cold War was a big part of Obama's speeches uh, to make note of these things, but, but yet we have some lingering pieces of the Cold War um, still continuing a bit, the issue of human rights, and uh, President Obama did sit down with um, those who opposed the Castro regime for at least two hours, and, and the issue of human rights has, has been squarely on the table in, in, in this summit meeting, has it not? Oh, no question. Uh, the human rights issue got a lot of attention, even before the president went down to Havana. Uh, his Republican critics attacked uh, the trip, uh, arguing that Cuba didn't deserve a presidential visit because it hadn't done anything to improve human rights. And then, literally, as the president was in the air on the way to Cuba, uh, the Cuban government arrested a number of dissidents, uh, which they do every Sunday when the dissidents uh, in engage in civil disobedience. Uh, but there were hundreds of international journalists on the ground in Havana with nothing to do, waiting for the president to arrive. And so the demonstrators had an extraordinary audience, uh, and, and that dominated the first news cycle of the president's trip, was the Cuban police carrying off these demonstrators who were lying limp in the street. I guess my take from, from the trip is that the U.S. and Cuba agree to disagree over the issue of human rights, but, but President Obama certainly made it um, part of his speeches, um, uh, part of his discussions with Raul Castro. Uh, do you think that, that this trip helps push forward improvement in human rights in Cuba? Well, I don't think that the trip is going to change the way that the Cuban police deal with demonstrators and dissidents. But I think you have to have a broader conception of human rights. Human rights is also the right to uh, open a business on your own, to practice your religion as you choose, to travel freely abroad, to have a cell phone, to have a computer, to have access to the Internet, to have a blog, to be able to publish a magazine that uh, doesn't go through government censors first. And on all of those counts, uh, the situation in Cuba has gotten better. So I think in the broad tapestry of, of human rights, there's actually been significant improvement in recent years. And I think President Obama's opening to Cuba deserves some of the credit for that. 
we still, though, see um, um, these detentions of, of protesters, um, certainly uh, still political prisoners in Cuba, though. So, yes, there are uh, many short-term detentions. Uh, there are several hundred demonstrators who every Sunday go out and, and demonstrate and are uh, routinely rounded up by the police, taken to the police station, uh, and then after a couple of hours, released and taken home. Uh, that would be the ladies in white. That yes. The ladies in white and some of, their, uh, some of the other uh, dissident groups that sometimes join in the demonstrations with them. Um, and that's not going to change in, in the short term. But in, with regard to long-term political prisoners, people in jail for 3, 5, 10, 15 years, there are very few of those left. Um, Raul Castro was confronted at the press conference with Obama, and he denied that there were any political prisoners. And that set off uh, a number of organizations sending in lists of, of uh, long-term political prisoners. And the striking thing is that all of the human rights organizations on the island and off the island agree that the number is in the dozens, not in the hundreds. So that, too, has improved under this part of the Castro regime. Raul Castro has really been the one who uh, has pushed more of the progressive agenda. I, I, I don't see much of Fidel mentioned during this particular trip. I, I think that, too, by design. Well, there was some uh, discussion as to whether the president would pay a courtesy call on Fidel Castro. Uh, the White House uh, said that there was no intention to do that. Uh, and I think that makes sense. Uh, Fidel Castro is retired. He doesn't hold any formal government position. So there is no reason of state for the president to visit him. Some would argue, though, he represents the, the hard line um, that's, that's still present inside Cuban politics, that uh, most people in the U.S., might see Cuban politics as a monolith, but but it's much more complex, is it not? Well, it certainly is. There are certainly uh, more conservative elements in the Cuban uh, bureaucracy who are skeptical of the opening to the United States. Uh, Fidel Castro uh, may share that view, given his sort of tepid reaction when uh, Raul Castro and Barack Obama announced the normalization of relations back in December of 2014, but he is retired, and it does not appear that he's taking any active role in politics. Uh, when he has spoken out, he used to write these reflections, which are sort of his op-ed pieces for the newspaper. Uh, he hasn't done that recently, but when he was doing that, he was always quite careful not to say anything that contradicted his brother's policy. Let's talk about those business openings that, that you mentioned we do see this this blossoming, if not would say a tsunami wave of tourism that has really hit um, Cuba. Um, I've been listening to a lot of interviews with Europeans who are saying they want to get to Cuba before the Americans arrive. Americans are already present, but maybe not in the numbers that we're about to see. Do, do you see this really changing the scene in Cuba, the amount of tourists that are about to arrive from the U.S.? The Cubans do talk about the American tsunami, and uh, while Europeans are saying they want to get there before the Americans arrive, Americans are saying they want to get there before Cuba changes. That is to say, before this tsunami of tourism uh, homogenizes Cuban culture. Um, there is no doubt that the Cuban tourist infrastructure right now is stretched to its limits. Uh, last year, they had 3.5 million foreign visitors, and that's just about 
at capacity for the industry. Uh, I think with the relaxation and the travel restrictions that the president approved last week, we will see a big jump in uh, visitors coming from the United States. And that's one of the reasons I think that the uh, administration approved the Starwood Hotels license to upgrade some of the existing hotels in Cuba uh, in order to help the Cubans build the infrastructure that they need to be able to sustain the kind of uh, freer travel that the president is proposing. Obviously, some people would say that at, at this juncture, President Obama is in in that legacy phase, concerned about what the legacy is of, of his administration. And Certainly many people would point to Obamacare um, as uh, a key part of, of what he achieved in, in his time, uh, whether you like Obamacare or not. It, uh, quite an achievement, uh, health care reform in the United States. Many people thought it would not happen. Um, but also many people did not think uh, that this would happen, that a U.S. president would go to Cuba. Um, and I wonder, is this his um, top foreign policy achievement as, as a president? I think it is. Uh, I think this is as historic an opening as Richard Nixon's opening to China in 1972. Um, when we look back at Nixon's presidency, there are not many things that we see as positive. But one that almost everybody agrees on is that it was time to open to China. And that has turned out to pay good, dividend, good dividends to the national interest of the United States. I think people will look back on Obama's opening to Cuba in exactly the same way. The president has had a tough time in other parts of the world. Uh, the situation in Afghanistan is not really very stable. The situation in Iraq is a disaster still. Uh, but uh, on the issue of Cuba, the president took a political risk to try to put an end to half a century of hostility, and it's working. Thanks so much. Our guest today on Latin Pulse, Bill Leal Grant of American University, the co-author of Back Channel to Cuba. My pleasure. This planet we call Earth, abundant with new food, new cures, new life, an amazing place. Please don't let it vanish without a trace. Call for your free World Wildlife Fund Action Kit with 10 simple things you can do to help leave our children a living planet. Call 1-800-C-A-L-L-W-W-F. Welcome back to Latin Pulse. For a different perspective on the importance of Obama's trip to Cuba, we asked Chris Gutierrez for his point of view. Gutierrez is the leader of Casey Smartport, a nonprofit economic development organization based in Kansas City, Missouri. Gutierrez visited Cuba late last year as part of a delegation interested in business development and cultural exchange. He spoke to us via long-distance line from Kansas City. I think on the commercial side, you, you are seeing the doors opening uh, with the caveat that the embargo is still in place. Uh, Google's announcement in their uh, studio with a number of high-speed Internet devices for Cubans to use and the Sheraton Hotel and, and the pending uh, direct air service with some of the U.S. carriers, all are, are good signs of moving the, the interaction and potential partnerships between U.S. business and Cuban uh, economy forward. Uh, on the transportation logistics side, you had the Obama administration make changes to allow transportation companies to uh, either go direct to Cuba with uh, freight that is allowed 
or, or explore opportunities in Cuba for warehousing and other relationships related to transportation logistics, which is key to my organization, SmartPort. As you mentioned, your organization is all about transportation logistics. You were part of a group that was in Cuba late last year. You made some comments on this program about transportation and logistics. What do you see are the opportunities for companies that want to get into Cuba and do business from the Midwest, from the from Missouri, from from other other states? Um, is there enough infrastructure and does that lack of infrastructure also provide opportunities? That's a great question, Rick. I think when you look at my membership base here in Kansas City with SmartPort, they are transportation service providers, uh, industrial real estate, and, uh, and the like. And there is opportunities now to get in somewhat on the ground floor in Cuba to look at potential partnerships to improve infrastructure. Uh, partnerships to understand supply chain and, and Cuba's uh, position uh, geographically with trade in, in all of Latin America. That My uh, membership is very interested to understand what there could be for them uh, in the infrastructure and services side of transportation. On a bigger side, you, you've got uh, a good deal of, of product opportunities that are needed in Cuba or could be a... Um, uh, secondary into Cuba and moving on steamship lines and others into Latin America and vice versa as a kind of a uh, a node in the in the movement of freight throughout Latin America. So it, there's a number of things my membership is interested in to understand better, and we are eager to take a supply chain, transportation, logistics delegation back to Cuba potentially this year, specifically to look at those opportunities. And specifically, what would you be looking at as far as Cuban infrastructure, and what would your suggestions be to the Cubans about how to do better business with people in America? Well, we know there's a brand-new port uh, that the Brazilians are investing in in Mariel uh, that would be a container terminal uh, and more of a freight-based terminal. Uh, There's some expertise and and, um, uh, potential business opportunities to explore how to make that port as efficient and connected as possible. Uh, the rail infrastructure in Cuba we learned on our trip is is uh, outdated, uh, potentially needs new investments and new um, technologies, and there's a number of Kansas City companies that are engaged in that. And then just the general flow and movement of freight in and out of Cuba, uh, and again, uh, connecting to Cuba to the rest of Latin America, that our transportation logistics companies in Kansas City are doing around the world it could see real benefit and, and add value to Cuba. So that, that's the first part of your question. Uh, second, in Cuba, I think there is a, a opportunity to learn from some of the largest global logistics companies that happen to be based in Kansas City or have operations here on how to do uh, you know, transportation, logistics, supply chain activity to benefit the Cuban economy. So let's let's talk a little bit about your view of the atmosphere for business in Cuba overall. Uh, we're talking about the moving of goods, and, and likely we're talking about agricultural goods. That uh, I think that there was an, um, a new opening, a, a, an agreement signed that there there would be better openings for agricultural buys by the Cuban government um, as part of this particular trip. 
but beyond that, um, we talked about uh, new openings for ferry service. Uh, of course, the airline rules that are relaxing uh, day by day with the expectation that Americans can't take direct tourist trips in the fall, but um, there will be an easier way for Americans to have cultural exchanges, individual cultural exchanges by next fall. And, and so I, I wonder what you see as the biggest area for for business to to take advantage of with, with these new openings. Is it uh, strictly in, in transportation and supply chain or, or are other areas like tourism likely where we're going to see the, the biggest exchange between the countries? Well, uh, again, our, our focus at Smartport is on the transportation side, so I speak uh, pretty quickly about those and the opportunities our members would get. But um, I would say clearly there's an opportunity for people-to-people uh, exchanges and, and dialogue around culture and, and tourism specifically because it is a beautiful country. Uh, there's opportunity for Americans who have never been before to, to see that. Uh, so I think you're, you're absolutely going to see an uptick in uh, tourist cultural educational exchanges continuing and, and, and growing leaps and bounds in Cuba. Uh, followed by the need to move people in freight, uh, and then ultimately whether there's um, specific opportunities for manufacturing within Cuba uh, or the distribution of products, uh, again, within Latin America uh, with a base or at least a, a note of, of distribution in Cuba. I wonder, as, as, a, as a Latino businessman who, who is interested in Cuba, what, what your reaction has personally been to the president's trip? Um, you know, my history, uh, I think we've talked about this in the past. My grandfather immigrated from Spain to Cuba initially and spent a number of years there before he came to the U.S. Uh, so personally, I've always had an interest in, in, in the country, uh, in its people and, and culture, and, and again, now in, in, in my career, the, the business opportunities. So I'm, I'm fascinated by it, and, and I'm so eager for the opportunity that it will open completely through the embargo and that uh, the president's historic trip starts that path and, and lets people, both politicians that have to relieve or, or release the embargo and everyday citizens see that there is real opportunity to, to engage with our neighbors. But not all Cuban-Americans uh, would see it the same way. There is some history. There is some challenges. There are some questions from the Cuban-American people about uh, the decisions and, and the actions the Castro administration through the revolution did that I think need to be addressed, absolutely. Uh, I, I don't mean to imply that they are not on the table. Uh, all of that has to be addressed and, and resolved for, for, for a true opening relationship between the two countries. And despite this opening, many of those specifics still have to be worked out, and there's still many disputes between the countries, but at least there's a, there's a different diplomatic relationship now. I wonder if there are other topics that you think are important for us to consider. Uh, you know, I, I think I've hinted towards it, that, that the Cuban country and the economy has a position or an opportunity to be a player in, in all of Latin America and trade between all of the countries. And I don't think that's been uh, completely um, developed because of the embargo. Uh, and I think that's something U.S. companies need to look at in addition to just the opportunities in Cuba, but Cuba's position within all of Latin America. And I think that's going to come come to fruition uh, as fast as, as just the opportunities in Cuba itself. 
so to clarify then using Havana using the new port facilities that are outside Havana to to be more or less a um, in a substation of transportation to other parts of Latin America very true uh, you see that in other countries like Panama and, and other regions in Latin America and I think Cuba does have that opportunity to be that kind of on the the eastern side of the uh, Latin American market or northern or the western hemisphere. Thank you so much, Chris Gutierrez of Casey Smartport, joining us via long distance line from Kansas City today. Thanks for being our guest on Latin Pulse. Thank you, Rick. Thanks for joining us for our analysis of President Obama's historic trip to Cuba on Latin Pulse this week. We'll be discussing the importance of his trip to Argentina in more detail on next week's program. If you'd like to send us your suggestions or comments, you may leave us a message online via SoundCloud or you may write us via email. You can find us at latinpulse at gmx.com. That's latinpulse, all one word, at gmx.com. If you're looking for earlier editions of Latin Pulse, we're available in various locations on the web, including iTunes, Facebook, and Henty Flow. Latin Pulse is also now available through the website Latin America Goes Global. You can find that website at Latin America Goes Global, written as all one word, dot O-R-G. And as always, you can find us in the Brazilian online game, Mini Mundos. To see the Latin Pulse archives of video programs on Latin America, you can check out Link TV's website. You can find it at linktv, all one word, dot O-R-G, and then slash Latin dash Pulse. That's linktv.org slash Latin dash Pulse. Thanks for joining us this week on Latin Pulse. For our entire team, associate producer Natalie Oninger and technical director Jim Singer, I'm Rick Rockwell. Escuchenos otra vez. Gracias por su tiempo. Latin Pulse is produced at the School of Communications at Webster University, the global university, headquartered in St. Louis, Missouri, with music copyright support through Webster University and Link TV. This program is copyright 2016 Las Rocas Productions.